0: hi everybody welcome back to green rush live our regular friday afternoon business of cannabis show that we run here on the pro cannabis media network i'm jimmy young the founder of pro cannabis media and every half hour i've got to do this reminder again please like share and subscribe not just to this show but all of the pro cannabis media content that's out there we're about 480 i think subscribers away from getting to the 10,000 mark on youtube so if you happen to be watching this on youtube and you're not a subscriber please do we will not hit you up with anything because we don't we won't get that data which is another story for another day but right now we're talking about lobbyists and we've got a great panel of lobbyists in with us along with josh Kincaid, who's a regular with us and our washington state correspondent for our we talk news show that follows this every friday at six o'clock let me introduce everybody josh and then i'm going to throw it right back to you um someone who's a regular and we so appreciate his regular appearances here on Green Rush Live. Is Michael Correa from the NCIA, the Director of Government Relations? Uh, Michael,
1: great to see you again. Hey, Jimmy, nice seeing you. And just to let you know, I'm on vacation out in California. Normally, I'd say no, but for you, I got the call and I was like, I'll do this. So hey, it's the power of Jimmy. Thank you.
0: I appreciate that. I'm a very sensitive guy. That means a lot to me. I, I really do. uh Chris, uh, you are with the Marijuana Policy Project. Uh, Tell me a little bit about exactly what you do and then we'll go to amy go ahead sure so
2: i'm the new guy here very nice to be here thanks for inviting me on um so marijuana policy project uh is most often out in states doing uh state work whether that's passing medical cannabis or adult use laws it does it either through lobbying directly at the legislative level or through voter initiatives um i had the good fortune to work in the lobbying uh, division under Karen O'Keefe, who uh, some of our or maybe many of our uh, listeners may know of she's very often involved in this at the state level. So did that in, in many states most I guess the most recent of mine was in Illinois um, to help sort of get it across the finish line for legalization um, and most recently have been involved in uh, the federal stuff which leaves me to rub elbows with Mr Correa here and uh, get to know uh, kind of what's going on in DC and and how far the goalposts actually are in all this. So uh, again, happy to be here and and thanks for having me
0: on. Great, appreciate it. And I, I'm interested to hear the state perspective versus the federal perspective too. Amy Jenkins is next. Amy, tell us about your organization and and. Why you're here too?
3: <laughs> well, I'm here because you invited me. That's true. So hopefully, hopefully, I'll you know I'll, I'll make a contribution to this conversation. So, uh, but appreciate the opportunity, and it's always nice to see Michael and Chris. Nice to meet you. Uh, so, I uh, own a firm in Sacramento, Precision Advocacy, and I represent a number of cannabis clients in California, including the California Cannabis Industry Association, which represents about 400 members currently over. 750 brands and about fifteen thousand employees so um, we are the most influential i would say trade association right now there are others um, uh, that are lobbying the state capital um, to enact uh, different um, cannabis reform endeavors including tax reform which is the big conversation right now so i also have some individual clients i also represent california companies and that's my pleasure to be here
0: terrific josh i'm going to throw it to you for the First comment, questions, and uh, you can call on any three, any one of these three guests for us. Go ahead.
4: All right. So uh, lobbying last year broke an all-time mark amid a flurry of government spending. Industry they topped three point seven billion for the first time. That's up from one point five billion in two thousand one. With thirty seven hundred new companies and organizations hiring lobbyists since the start of the pandemic, bringing the total number of lobbyists in Washington to an estimated twelve thousand. With so many multiple in-state lobbyists in Washington State, uh, you know any state for that matter, how do we make any progress with so many different agendas? Uh, I guess I'll start with Michael.
1: So um, that's one of the biggest issues I'm dealing with now. You know, when I started, which was nine years ago, almost ten years ago, is before there were legal sales uh, in Washington State and uh, Colorado. That happened in January and July of fourteen, and I started in thirteen. A lot of i was the only guy there i was on an island by myself trying to lobby and the issue is pretty It was pretty uniform take the industry seriously we wanted a professionalization of the industry we wanted to talk about the banking issue the taxes it was very generic it was very easy talking about it because i was the only one doing it well now the industry has matured and here we are you know nine years ten years later We have bigger MSOs, we have medium sized companies, we have smaller, we have different aspects where some of them may have a little different perspective when it comes to what does legalization mean? And a perfect example would be something like interstate commerce. If you're a big MSO that invested hundreds of millions of dollars in a state based model, and all of a sudden legalization threw that open, your hundreds of millions of dollars of investment would maybe go out the window. And so there's a little different perspective as far as tax rates, Uh, regulations, how, how, how much you can deal with on regulations, how much you can pay on taxes, the bigger guys can do more than smaller guys. And it gets back to economics of big versus little in every other industry. And the industry cannabis industry has changed, it's matured a lot, you see a lot of consolidation in the industry, a lot of growth. And when I was talking, it was, hey, treat us like every other business in America, address the banking issue, address the tax issue. And that was it well we've gotten none of that and now they're talking about legalization what does legalization look like what do regulations look like and now that's where you're seeing some of these differences pop up and that's just within the industry and then you have industry sort of versus advocacy in their approaches about drug legalization drug reform so when you're on capitol hill one of the things i always wanted to do was have one unified message this is the cannabis industry and this is what we want and now there's little nuances a little popping up so you are a uh, a friend on capitol hill that wants cannabis reform you hear one perspective and you go sounds good to me and then you support it. and it may not be the full picture and that's one of the things i'm fighting for right now is just representing the industry as a whole not one company not big companies but just the industry as a whole but you're starting to see those nuances pop up in different ones and Having Capitol Capitol Hill hear different voices, it's a challenge. To your point, Michael, I just talked to the CEO of Riv Capital, who spent a quarter billion dollars
4: going to New York. And I said, you must know something we don't because you wouldn't spend that if you thought legalization was going to happen. Yeah, uh, Amy, you're nodding your head. Do you have anything that you want to add to, to Michael's <laughs> comments?
3: Well, I, I was certainly I was certainly relating to, I think, the fragmentation of the industry. I mean, I think when we first started lobbying in Sacramento, we were all a unified voice. And I think there's. I think we're all continuing. When I say we, it's the different associations and different stakeholder groups. I think we are trying to align ourselves around some key policy objectives, but but I certainly appreciate the, the situation that Michael described because I'm experiencing that in real time in California. You have small farmers. You've got um, different associations that are springing up to represent different segments of the supply chain. Um, you've got multiple uh, new equity associations. So it's very, very hard to find alignment when you have so many competing interests but i also want to go back to your your prior initial question about how do you how do you penetrate like how do you make How do you make your voice heard when there are so many competing interests and the way I started was as Michael said you normalize you know but, but the other thing I did is. You have to tell a story from a local district perspective, and so I had to go one district at a time and really figure out what made that policymaker tick and how cannabis was relevant to their district so low hanging fruit were legacy communities that have already accepted cannabis in those communities. But then when I had a legislator that was very pro law enforcement, that's where you focus on, you know, unlicensed market versus licensed and how you can regulate and, and control and reduce crime. But you know, you ha- my strategy was always, you know, really trying to identify what is going to make that particular policymaker tick. And I continue to do that to this day. But as cannabis has become more normalized and we're generating significant revenue in California, it has become far more mainstream. So most legislators let me in the door, but it, it, it really started out with that level of basics.
2: Chris, how about you? Uh, well, you know, the longer we go, the more complicated it gets. So those interests, just as Michael outlined, get more specific. And I just go back to a really simple analogy, and it's when, you know, in World War II, at the very beginning, it wasn't hard for people to sort of rally around the idea that Hitler's a bad guy and we need to deal with this. But on the other end of that same war, it's not about whether or not it's a good idea. It's about how are we splitting up Germany? You know, how are we going to manage the situation? And that's kind of the situation where legalization is upon us. Thirty seven states have some program in place where their citizens get access on a regular basis, and there's an industry that supports them. Um, We just have done it badly because the federal government hasn't done anything yet and so you know we don't really debate anymore whether or not we should we just sort of have to deal with all of the messiness along the way and a lot the, the longer we go the more entrenched interests get because that's that's what happens you create a system and businesses start operating in that system they didn't make the rules they just work in the system and the minute they get operating they get attached to the system that they operate within. And so, as soon as you then walk in and say, Hey, everybody, you know what? That medical thing worked great. You know what we should do? Let's make it available to all adults. And that is obvious to, to folks that are in the advocacy space. But if you're a business, what you're now talking about is bringing in who knows how many, potentially a theoretically unlimited number of, uh, of competitors, right? And so, you're now in a situation where your early adopters the ones that got in are now very likely going to be finding ways to sort of make sure they're going to be taken care of throughout that whole process and so now you have interests that start to diverge and hey anybody in the world can hire a lobbyist that's easy that just takes a checkbook right and so if you've got nervous uh ceo and you've invested a one point whatever in your grow, right? You want to make sure that you can continue to pay your staff, and so you're going to make sure that you've got the gr heft that you need to go to Sacramento or to you know um, any any state capital to try to keep that system in place. And what happens then is as this whole thing develops over time. You have just different interests going different directions. And it's a mess because to where where Michael exactly began is it was one thing when it was simple and everybody could have one message. But you go into a lawmaker's office now and he or she will say, well, you know what? I talked to somebody last week and they are, they kind of said some other thing. It's really, really hard now to try to move the needle when you've got so many
1: voices. So
2: it's, it's a significant challenge.
1: And just to piggyback on what Chris was saying, which uh, hit hit the nail on the head is if you were to have, if you were to go from uh, uh, it's illegal and then tomorrow it was legal over the country, everyone was equal. Well, now like California, it had these legacy operators for 25 years, this gray market. You had other states with medical. Well, now they have a footprint. So like in Arizona, they may wanna control how many licenses are out there. Everyone when you are on the outside, everyone loves capitalism. But when you're on the inside, you, everyone loves monopolies. And <laughs> so it's, it's hard to tell on where you're at. Um, and there are multiple uh, trade associations in cannabis at the federal level. We're all friendly. We all get along. We all agree on 95 percent of the same things. But there's going to be the slight differences of interstate commerce or a tax rate or excise taxes or something. And like Chris was saying now, you you are protecting your interests, you are protecting your investment. You as a CEO or manager of a company, you're looking at your time horizons and you know, a year, two years, three years, five years, and making investments on that. And now all of a sudden Congress comes out and changes the rules mid mid-course. Well, that's going to affect you as a capitalist. And so I I'm we need this sooner rather than later, because if we have nothing you will get a lot of consolidation of the industry. And in four years from now, when we have legalization, you will have these very big, powerful companies that don't want to play with others and don't want to open it up. But hey, that's um, that's why you know Congress members get paid the big bucks and we keep fighting a good fight.
4: Did you just have a crystal ball prediction that legalization is gonna happen in four years? I actually heard, I heard the same thing. I heard four years by Michael, didn't you, Josh? Did you hear that?
1: so my um my first event i did at ncia earl blumenauer spoke and he said legalization by 2020 and seven years seems so far away i was like yeah it's possible (laughs) i viewed this as an eight to ten year process so i had visions in 2013 legalization by the summer of 2021 here we are in the summer of 2022 and we haven't gotten banking over we haven't gotten 280e over i've pushed my time horizon a little further back and Someone who worked in Congress before never make predictions, Jimmy.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, that's kind of like being a sports guy. You lose credibility as soon as you're the wrong prediction. You know, you have to be able to look at both sides, which is what I teach uh, about a talk show host versus a journalist. Big difference. Um, Guys, we had some breaking news this afternoon and I want to get uh, your opinions on it just to. Keep the conversation going. Uh, Merrick Garland, the uh, U.S. Attorney General, uh, had a quote out there. Tom Angel from Marijuana Moment uh, reported on it that the Department of Justice will address cannabis policy in the days ahead. Um, is that is that a tease? Is this encouraging? Are they going to reinstate the Cole memo? Where do you think the uh, the DOJ is going to go? And and um, Chris, we're going to start with you. Go ahead unmute yourself first yeah I,
2: I, so I, I don't know um and i thought you were you were gonna say they said something because we we'd, we'd seen that they were gonna say something
0: <laughs> well
2: i was like oh boy uh so in the days know, ahead is the quote in the days ahead is the quote yeah i gotta tell you i was definitely taken aback by the press release that normal sent out i think yesterday yeah yesterday that said look federal arrests are up you know we've been kind of happy every year they're trending down and of course they would be right because we've got more jurisdictions where um they're actually limited in their enforcement capabilities but that those numbers um really tell me that we're definitely not out of the forest yet so um i think they're they're, it's easy to sort of be in this space because everybody that you talk to kind of loves what you're doing and businesses are all excited you know generally uh, and that uh, that we we are in kind of an ecosystem um, of support, but um, it's not always really the case. So um, we'll see what happens.
0: Um, I can't, I, I hate, to, hate to make
2: any predictions about what the federal government's gonna do.
0: No, if they do anything at all, it's it's a major news story. Amy, uh, what's your reaction to this little piece of news? And it's more well, like a tease.
3: I would say it's more like a tease, but I, you know, again, I, I tend to focus on state, State lobbying, and so where there is a, an impact at the federal level, obviously I track. I would imagine Chris and Michael have a better read as to what that might mean. Um, in California, we're we're focused a lot on um, illicit market activity. There's also a lot of conversations around interstate commerce, as what was previously brought up. So there are some linkages there that that might um, have some sort of correlation, but. Um, but I, you know, I, I think four years, as, as Michael subtly dropped, might be a more accurate prediction in terms of the direction of legalization. So yeah, I, it's tough to make predictions on what what was what, what this means.
1: I'm only thinking, um, I, I maybe all the 25 years in D.C. I've become a cynic, and no. all the times, all the times I've heard Chuck Schumer say he's going to drop his bill any day now. eighteen yeah. months later you you sort of now when someone says something and I just shrug my shoulders and roll our eyes and so you know the the first question you'd have to ask is what can the federal government do that's the first thing and they're not going to legalize they're not going to reschedule they're not going to do anything major like that so what could they do maybe they could tighten up the coal memo maybe give some better guidance maybe they could tighten up the banking memo and make it a little easier on financial institutions so I know the Treasury Secretary and others have said something around banking and maybe they realize Congress isn't going to do something unsafe. Maybe they could tighten it up around that. They could do something around research. They could do something, you know, um, around veterans, but there's not a lot they can do. And Joe Biden's been president for 18 months. You know, he could have come in in January and said administratively, these are the things I want to do. Um, because I'm on vacation, I'm sort of a few days behind on everything. So if this was Merrick Garland, you know, they're not going to say anything. And if he was quoted, yeah, they'll probably do something. And my guess it's a clarification around some administrative stuff versus anything major. Um, that's just the way the federal government operates. And, you know, um, you know, maybe I'm more into the teasing. I'm more into the teasing and we're we're going to be doing something to get you excited so then everyone else can talk about how the federal government's going to legalize cannabis.
0: Here's a quote for you from him uh, that started this. Um, uh, Enforcement resources are not put to their best use, prosecuting nonviolent, low level marijuana offenses, even in jurisdictions where marijuana use remains illegal. This is a constant theme that I keep hearing from law enforcement for years now. They don't want to prosecute. They don't want to arrest any more people about cannabis because they don't want to fight for it more than anything so, else, especially if, in legal
1: states. If you look at the the gist of the Cole Memo, which was what, Chris, nine years ago, eight and a half years ago, something like that. And then in 2017, when Jeff Sessions tore up the Cole Memo, He basically said he was going to give priority or he was going to give he was going to allow the the local state attorneys determine that now. um, I don't have the data has there been a ramp up in the past five years about arrest and maybe they've seen some data and they're trying to refigure and now say it is not a priority and then maybe do a new call memo Um, I don't know but. I know we've we've lived in a world without coal for five years now, and I don't know what the arrests have done. I don't know if the others have get any enlightenment, but that's the only thing I could be thinking of and and all coal ever did was just say here's
2: here's our list of priorities. hey, you know state or u s attorneys general out in the world, do whatever you think is appropriate so I mean it never really dialed anything back. it just sort of gave enough room for u s a g s out in the world to sort of say well okay i'm not gonna take this as an as a priority you know there were certainly prosecutions that happened after that so it's not like it it's not like the whatever i guess 2016 was when there was a limitation actually built into the budget that said doj does not get money to go after state state compliant licensees and that's meaningful um on medical On on medical, that's exactly right, and and (laughs) so so now we have the Cole memo, but the my understanding is that nobody really changed policy when Sessions yanked the the memo. I mean, I think it was sort of functional, you know. At least it gave a place for banks to have some activity. So it didn't make any sense for anybody to just say, "Well, okay, forget it." They just sort of kept operating, and so I don't know reinstating the Cole memo. Okay, so we all. I mean, it doesn't really change anything.
1: You know, it's we need to change the law. The next changes are going to be Congress. That's going to be the true changes of Congress uh, changing laws. Now, if anybody in the administration asked, I would say, oh, absolutely. We need to get that coal memo
2: reinstated. But I mean, in the real world, at the end of the day, we're not seeing changes in people's lives because the memo is in place or not.
0: Yeah. Amy, you're in California, right? I am. Uh, boy, you got a plenty of stuff going on in that state uh, every single day. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's the number. It's the number one cannabis market, and I think eighty percent is still the illicit market or the legacy market, if you will. Um, is California setting an example, or are they just making decisions and then kind of winging it once those decisions are made? I get no rhyme or reason out of California. Can you enlighten me?
3: <laughs> well i i would say i would say that there are a many there are many many things that we did not get right uh, with the passage of proposition 64 which was our measure to legalize cannabis for adult use um it, it's it's certainly job security for me from the standpoint that i have spent the better part of my time since its passage in in 2016 trying to you know, steer the ship in the right direction and can and, and address some of the the areas that were that are not entirely functional. So whether that is our our very complex um system of tax collection the rate at which we're taxed um you know there's a lot of people that have real concerns and and, and for better or for worse but the the reduction in, in penalties so um you know the fact that that cannabis um, illicit cannabis is is a misdemeanor has has led to a, a huge uptick in unlicensed market activity um there's there's a whole host of issues that have been challenging i will say where i think we are, are moving in a positive direction has been our significant investment in social equity i think california is leading the charge um in terms of trying to create a path for those communities most uh, impacted by the the war on drugs but by and large there there is a lot to to fix um and so hopefully uh the other other states can learn from some of the the mistakes that we've made along the way, and so um, I think we California continues to be um, a trailblazer in some respects, but but in some but also um, there are lessons and what not to do um, that I think other states should really pay attention to.
1: And, and just to piggyback on top of what Amy said, as a California native and actually in California right now, you know California led everything cannabis. You know I think it was sort of the leader on cannabis. Uh, because it's such a big market and there are a lot of lessons to learn on you know what they did wrong and one of the biggest issues is because you don't have federal legalization you're going to have price differences And California is growing some of the best stuff and at a good price because we have such an agricultural background that's going to be leaking out of the market. There's going to be diversion until you have some equilibrium. I guarantee you if you made tomatoes illegal across the country, there would be a tomato illegal tomato market going on because California grows them well. It's just something about the market. But with that being said, um, I do want lessons being learned because what works, what doesn't as far as taxes, higher taxes, regulations, there is no perfect legalization bill. But when Chuck Schumer is going to drop his bill, we as the cannabis industry are worried that these tax rates are going to be too high. It's not going to be good for the industry and it's going to lead to uh, this illicit market staying around because the taxes are too high. So you have to be, a lot of policy people in DC aren't thinking like that, but that's my job is to educate and keep getting that message out of why we need to do legalization right in the lessons we uh, learn from states like california colorado washington oregon some of these others that have been doing it for a few years now
0: right we learn more from our mistakes hey hey josh um washington have they learned anything have you le- i mean it seems to me they're still kind of uh, almost going back in time and redoing what they did 10 years ago
4: Yeah, I think you learn more from your mistakes, practice doesn't make perfect, failure does. And Washington State is probably the best learning experience. We are a petri dish experiment here. Uh, The most competitive marketplace in all of North America is right here in Washington State, 2000 SKUs in any store and no vertical integration. So none of the stores care about the brands. They'll just put 2000 SKUs up and then good luck competing against that. Granted, a lot of brands have, you know, a dozen or so uh, different brands with uh, with under underneath them, to to kind of create all of those products. But what we're seeing is, you know, still a Class C felony to maintain and operate a marijuana lounge. We're seeing it's a felony to grow at home unless you have a, a license, a medical marijuana card. So there's all kinds of issues in this state, and it, it's going nowhere fast.
0: Hey. Um, um... Before we go, I do want to get a comment on interstate commerce because it seems to me that interstate commerce does exist in the merchandising, in the branding. You are seeing brands going across state lines for edibles, for um, tinctures, and other things like that, but not flour, at least not legally. But it still has to start with the flour. So, I, I mean, to me, it seems like some of these people that are putting out the products that are manufactured are already practicing interstate commerce am i wrong who wants to go
2: i don't know i mean i i I would say this that to a lot of folks that we talk to on the hill the folks that work you know in as staff for members of congress we're already doing interstate commerce. If you have a company right. that operates in one state and you have employees in another state, what are we talking about here? <laughs> you know, like, is it is it the magic moment when a joint actually goes across state lines? Now we're gonna like really have a problem with this company. There's stuff happening between these states all the time. Money is flowing. It's interstate commerce to a lot of folks already.
1: So I'll give you some anecdotal personal. So last summer, I vacationed in Montana, Chris's state, and I flew in and out of Spokane. And I there's a dispensary right on the Spokane, uh, Idaho border. And I remember going there, I visited, and uh, I think there were 40 cars in the parking lot and 36 of them were from Idaho, which is probably has the most, the mm-hmm. least cannabis friendly laws on the books. Idaho people are going to Washington state. They're just losing that tax that tax break that like chris is saying that's interstate commerce right there because they're going across the state lines and you know they're not consuming it in washington you know they're bringing it back to idaho because that's what's happening it's just it's just one of those things that you're going to get that leakage that diversion until the federal officials are at, having an honest discussion about cannabis there
0: you go well this has been a great honest conversation about cannabis. Uh, the three of you have been outstanding. Uh, Michael, you're going to have some competition for your guesting here on the show. I can tell you that both Chris and, and Amy passed the test and uh, you might, but we will always, you will always have a special place in your heart for uh, uh to, for us just because you're on vacation and you still made the time for us. And I appreciate that.
1: Hey, well, I always appreciate it. And Jimmy, we're going to hopefully do a lobby days in a couple of months and coming to DC so once you get the notice, come on down visit us. It's been three years. Uh, I'm getting people are getting an itchy, itchy triggered and want to go visit the Capitol. And we got to get Congress to do something before the end of this session,
0: right? And I was at I was at the last one in 2019 in May, and uh, because my brother lives in Chevy Chase, it makes it somewhat convenient for me. But I'll be honest, I haven't seen him in three years except on Zoom because yes. you know he they didn't want they have grandkids. I mean, you know what happened, guys. More than anything else, um because we only have one guest the next half hour i'm going to offer if you guys have time and want to stay you certainly can michael being on vacation you're already excused okay so go and enjoy your time in your home state in california and uh, we're going to have more of green rush live after this don't go away
4: don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got